I spend every day, every week, praying and preparing to be here. Sometimes it gets a little old, uh, not from the sense of uh, boredom, but from a sense of burden. Talk to, any, talk to any pastor that actually cares about what God's called him to do, and he would say the same thing. <clears throat> There's a reason why we're talking about this grand subject of sanctification. There's a big reason why. Because it has been divorced from its appropriate position in justification. Justification and sanctification are, are together. They're united. They should never have been separated. And some of the reasons why, I would say largely the reasons why we're seeing much of what we're seeing today happen in our culture, okay, is because for the longest time, beginning back around the, uh, in the 20th century, long about 1930s, 40s, and up, there was a major emphasis on well-meaning Christians to get people born again. Billy Graham and Billy Sunday and I'm sure a few other Billies. Um, other names that uh, were prominent of the day and age of tent revival meetings, using that word very in- incorrectly. But crusades to get people saved. And there is certainly nothing wrong with a desire and a burden to see people saved. But we don't, we don't get people saved. We don't do that. My head is exploding with information. Uh, and I, I, I feel like I could really go nerdy on you really quick. But I would say this, that my, my vision and my periphery my peripheral, peripheral vision is enlarging so that I understand how we got here. Because first off, we're not healthy as the body of Christ in North America at all. Statistics have shown that 47, only 47% of evangelical Christians in America, when asked if they believed that holiness was important to the Christian life, only 47% said yes. Now I want you to think about that. Less than half of those who identify as evangelical, born-again believers said that holiness is optional. They don't, or, or, or only 47% believe that holiness is not an option. More than half said, oh yeah, it doesn't matter. Now, how does that grab you? 600 times in Scripture, holiness is mentioned. More than that, if you add in the element of its relationship to sanctification. To be justified in Christ and declared righteous in Christ is to be sanctified holy and then to progressively pursue that holiness. Remember A.W. Tozer's work, The Pursuit. Of God, I think. Was that what? Pursuit of holiness. That's what it was. Pursuit of holiness. 
But in, in modern, modern Christendom, and I would pull in the Western Hemisphere of churches on that, holiness has been relegated to the confines of the shadowy people. Those who are extreme, neo-Puritans, if you will, or those who want to have really weird hairdos and wear long skirts or no buttons on their clothes. Pursue holiness, without which, what does the Bible say? No one will see the Lord. That ought to make us tremble. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And yet we treat it as a casual thing. In fact, most people on a Sunday morning feel like they're doing God a favor just because they come to service. Oh, we've fallen. But here's what we want to do. We want to swat mosquitoes. And decry about how bad the liberal politics is. Or the climate politics is. Or how bad just politics is. And we all say, oh, November, things will change. November's going to happen. Because November, somehow, we, it needs an altar of its own. And we bow down. Oh, November. We, we swat it. Mosquitoes. That's easy. What would happen? What would happen? If, if all of God's people... Just in this nation alone. Or how about this? Just in the magic valley by itself. What if God's people said? Let us unite. Declare a solemn assembly. Repent of our sin and our indifference and our apathy and our unholiness. Get right with God. And start to pray with a fervor and a passion, storming the gates of heaven on behalf of what's going on, what do you think God would do? It would. He would. The problem is, we're so comfortable. I drive right now a 1982 Ford truck. Complete with a 250 air conditioner. The little wings that fold in because it has manual windows. And if you go 50 mile an hour, it'll cool you off just fine. So long as the temperature outside is comfortable. Here lately, it's been like a blow dryer coming at you from both sides. But I I drive that truck and I think, wow. Back in 1982, inflation was bad also. This is my inflation truck. Back in 1982, they had an energy crisis, didn't they? Back in 1982, there was all kinds of stuff that was going on politically. If you remember the aftermath of, I think, Carter, the peanut man. And I'm driving this truck now in 2022. And there's an energy crisis. And everything's wrong politically. And I just got to thinking, there's always going to be a crisis. 
But there's never been this worldwide grab for the unholy like we're seeing. Not all at once. So now you can blame politics if you want to. You can talk about how sin has just taken over the world. But I want to remind you of some, of some labels that we've been given as Christians. And that is, and I think this is my favorite, the salt of the earth. And I can't help but envision in my head when Jesus refers to salt as that which preserves or prevents the spread of bacteria. If you ever sugar cured a ham? I haven't, but I've heard stories about it. That's what they use. They pack them in salt. What does that salt do? It draws out the moisture and it prevents the decay. Who's supposed to be doing that? Church. Is that why the scripture says that judgment begins at the house of God? It could be. But I would say this. Before we get into today. We have desperate need of understanding this doctrine of sanctification and holy living because... The mosquitoes that we are so apt to swat at, that are so much easier to focus on, we pursue that because it's way easier than looking at the swamp that is underneath just about every steeple in the land. Because every sin that we commit and let go unheeded and unconfessed as God's people goes into a larva. Underneath the buildings with which we occupy. And out of that comes all of this decay. So no, I don't blame the world. I don't. We are the salt of the earth. And Jesus said, if it loses its savor. If it loses its ability to salt anything. It's a sidewalk. And what happens if the salt is absent on a hanging piece of pork? Out in the cellar, it's going to rot. There's nothing to stop it. What does this thing need? Genuine biblical revival. And I will tell you that I promise you, I will never come off of it. I cannot come off of it. Everywhere I look, I see our desperate need for biblical revival. A return to holiness on behalf of God's people to gain their voice back. To gain their heart back. To get their spines back. To get their knees back under them. To get the word back in front of their eyes. And to pray with power. Because the truth of the matter is. I don't think we really believe. That God can do what he's done before. Today. Because if we did. We wouldn't have to beg ministers and churches to come together to pray and be right with God. That's why when we go to Romans chapter 7, we have to grab the concept of who we are in Christ. You cannot maintain a steady Christian life if you divorce yourself from the Word of God for any length of time. You cannot maintain a strong Christian life or be informed of the spiritual matters of what God is saying if you do not know what the Scripture says and then when you read it and you don't like it, you, you repent of your sin of, dis, of disrespect and you say, God, it's your Word, not my Word. I will align with you. Because you're king, I'm not. I may not like it, but I will submit to it. I will surrender to it. And I will ask you, God, to give me the grace to understand it. But instead, we actually think 
that we can manipulate for our preferences and uh, deal, make a deal with God. I remember one time I was on the tractor and I was being ornery and I had a cell phone back when they were, they called it the brick, Nokia. Those were good phones. Still wish we had just phones like that. And there was this radio uh, commercial from a church in Oklahoma City came on and it sounded really wokey even back then. So I called up and I began to ask some questions. And I said, what, what, how do you know what the word of God is? And the lady said, well, we only teach the words in red here. And I said, well, what about, what if you want to be right with God? Well, God loves everybody. Anyway, I just was shocked back then. And that was in 1997, 8, 9. Oh, we've drifted. And we have to own that. That's why I read this problem statement every single week. The problem is a failure of 21st century Western Christians to understand and apply the doctrine of sanctification to personal holiness in their everyday lives. Because where does this flesh out? In your everyday life. The result then for that neglect. The the result for that failure. Is a weak and lethargic church. With no power. No passion. And an ever increasing conformity to the world around them. In honor of God and His Word, let's stand. Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Paul, continuing his teaching, says, Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives? For the woman has a husband... Or for the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. It's very simple. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren... You also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ. Verse 4 is really key here. You have become dead to the law through the body of Christ. That you may be married to another. To him who who was raised from the dead. That we should bear fruit to God. Now did you see that get in there? We should bear fruit to God because of this. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. So then you could have that. Or, but now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by. So that we should serve, there's a word serve, in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldest of the letter. Or as the NLT would put that last part of verse 6, but in the new way of living, that we should serve in the new way, the new way of living in the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, please 
only you can break through the apathy, the spiritual laziness, the indifference. Only you can break through the noise of this world. Only you and the power of your Holy Spirit can bring us to an understanding of what not only your word is saying that we are, but what you've done in us and cause us and compel us to break free from the moorings of despondency. Only you can do that. And God, I pray collectively we would all say, Lord, do it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. First of all, this is a really simple, uh, this is a very simple text that we have today. We have this analogy of marriage. We have this analogy of remarriage. We're talking about law. And I'm not going to read to you all of what Robert Mounts is saying here. But the issue is, and these are notes for me, is that the law being talked about that Paul is talking to them about is a the Mosaic law which they understood and the extra 600 things that the religious leaders had tied on to God's law had an issue of a woman being married to a man she wasn't free while she was married to him but if he died, she would be free, okay? And, or, or it could be referring to just the common Roman law that they were all familiar with because the, uh, 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 it's, a, it's an anothorous term. It, it, it doesn't contain a definite article in front of the pneumos. So that means that it could literally be just the Roman law, right? Whatever the case is, it's funny how any kind of law that's, that's righteous, reflects God's truth. So even in the Roman law, you could not, uh, you couldn't do this. So what he's saying here is, is that there's this lady, and she has a husband. And as long as she's bound to him, she's bound by the law to her husband as long as, she li- as long as he lives. But if he dies, she is released from the law of her husband. That was the then part. This is your old life. That's what you were. Because he says, as he goes on, so then if while your, her husband lives, she marries another, she'll be called an adulteress. But if the husband dies, she's free. And she's no longer an adulteress. He, he died. It, there's nothing to bind her anymore. So let's look. Analogy of Scripture here. 1 Corinthians 7.39 A wife is bound by law. As long as her husband lives, but if her husband dies, she is at liberty to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. <laughs> now, I just put that there to say, here's, here's Paul writing later in, uh, in, in Corinth, and he's reminding them of this fact. And then he's saying to them who are desiring to be remarried, but only in the Lord, only in the Lord. That's why there's a scriptural precedent here. If you're a, if you're a believer in Christ Jesus, male or female, and you want a spouse, you can only marry in the Lord. If you go outside of that, first off, you're violating the law of God for you. It, you. You're violating scripture. Just You say I don't like that. So? 
Also, Luke 16, 18, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced from her husband commits adultery. This is just reinstituting the fact that if they're alive, you're not free, see? But his thing is, the point here being that if the husband is dead, then there is no law to bind or enforce the continued obligation to the marriage. So when you come to Christ, you've died. You're free. And we're going to get to that. So accordingly, the law then has no power over the one left living. So if we go back to Romans chapter 6, look at verses 1 through 9. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? So he's saying if you're in Christ, you've died because of what Jesus has done. You've died in Him. And he says... Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? You died too. When you come to faith in Christ and through repentance of sin and you believe the gospel, you died too. And he goes on, therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk. There it is again in newness of life. So there should be a change in you. That old master of sin is gone. You do not have to do it anymore. You, you do not, you're not chained there anymore. Sure, you struggle and you stumble. And that's part of the Christian life. And that's part of the sanctification process, which is two-pronged. Definitively, you are sanctified in Christ. That's a settled issue in Christ by His victory on the cross. But also progressively, number two, you are being sanctified. You are being perfected you are being made holy but how many of us think in terms of lord consecrate me now you're using church words consecrate me listen to a sermon this week by richard Owen roberts surprise surprise and he said he had a he has a book out called consecrate or a Consecrate the congregation. Consecrate the congregation. It would be as if I took this microphone, in which case we have done it, but if we said this, this is a church microphone, it can only be used in church services, that which pertains to the gospel. So you would not take this microphone to go MC a wedding party at a club. You wouldn't use this microphone to go announce a... Uh, uh, a horse race. You wouldn't take this microphone to go and out and, and, and sing secular music out on the side of the road. You, this is consecrated, if you will, just if you work with the words, it's consecrated holy. It's been separated away from all the other microphones for use here for the service of the Lord. That's it. That's you. That's me. You've become dead to the law through the body of Christ that you may be married to another. We've been set free. If you remember last week we talked about being delivered to another. We've been given to another and using the marriage relationship notice what it says to him who was raised from the dead that we should bear fruit to God and like in any marriage there should be some kind of fruit from the marriage we have children 
as a, as a, as a, it's a sign of that fruit from the marriage. And he's saying, you should bear fruit to God. You have a new, you have a new husband. You're, you're not bound to that old master husband anymore. You've got a new one. A righteous one. A holy one. And by virtue of, as he died, you died. As he was raised from the dead, you will be too. You are too. And just as he is holy, so you should be holy too. Why do the wheels fall off the wagon of our understanding on that one? No, we don't. Look. When we talk about the Puritans of the 16th, 15th, 16th centuries, the 17th centuries, the word pure is the, is the identifier, the descriptor of that name. Because they were men and women who desired to live pure lives before God. And while there were some bad eggs in the, in the, in the, in the hatch... These were men and women who large, who, who history, if you look at history, loved life. They were joyful. They were happy. They were satisfied. And they were truly a set-apart people. They weren't perfect. They had feet of clay. But they valued the holiness that accompanies justification. They understood the, the, the inability to separate justification and sanctification and to drive a wedge between it. They never would even consider that that would be something that we should do. Because they believed that a saved life in Christ would be a holy life. Do we still think that way? You can't tell me we think that way with what we see. Have you seen what passes for Christian literature today? Have you seen what passes for Christian movies today? Or Christian music today? Or have you even seen what passes for Christian at all? The purpose of the regenerating work of Christ and our being united in Him is that we should bear fruit. If you, as a Christian, and you're truly born again, Live your life building your little fiefdom and your little kingdom. Building your business, being a good employee. And that's all you do. And you give little bit to the church, just little. I don't know. I'm trying to imagine what those beginning hours are going to be like for you in glory. You'll be so out of your element. Do you realize that we were saved to serve? And when we get to heaven, that's what we get to do all the time. Around the throne. All the time. Do you realize all you miss by putting the world first? We miss it. I am... Kim Kenry's class talking about discipleship. I'm, I'm very... It took me, I was saved at 12. Praise God for his, his preserving grace in my life. But I was not discipled. I, it's taking me so many years just to learn the basics of the Christian life and finally understand what really counts, what really matters to the heart of God. The Word of God matters to the heart of God and me knowing the Word of God matters to the heart of God and understanding that His heart is for His glory 
and my good. And that I am his servant. That his way is best. And that I'm here to bear fruit to holiness. And it's taken me, I'm 49, so 37 years, essentially, to finally just get to this elementary position. Because I was not discipled. And i got to be honest, of all the people that I knew and all the men that I knew, I don't think any one of them had a concept of what I'm talking about either. Because we're so backwards. In verse 22 of chapter 6, But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. This is what we're supposed to do. Therefore, my brethren... You also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ that you may be married to another. And what does it say? That you should bear fruit to God, right? And then, it's, and then in verse 5 of chapter 7 again, it says, For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law. Because if it says, oh, you can't take that, suddenly you want to take that because there's something in us that just wants to violate the law, right? So we were bound to that, but then we've been set free from it. But our whole, the whole point of, us, of our being set free is so that we would bear fruit in that old life, all we could bear fruit to was death. And decay and rot. But we're supposed to be saved to serve and bear fruit to God. <laughs> it ought to torment your soul what we hear going about these days. And if it doesn't, there's something wrong with the sensitivity of your heart. There's these country songs, it just bugs me every time it plays. I haven't heard it in a long time. Of course, in my truck now, all I hear is, Psh, you know. But, uh, and there's holes in the floor of heaven, and the tears are flowing down. There's no holes in the floor of heaven. Are you kidding me? And there are no tears flowing down. That's against Scripture. And then the whole idea that we're going to argue with God and make a deal when we get there about fixing stuff up. No, you're not. That's just no. And it should bother you that this kind of thing. But you put it to a country song refrain and, oh, doesn't that sound nice? It's just like, man, this, this, this person died and they're in, the, they're in the casket or in the pot, depending. And, and, and they, live like, they live like the devil all their life. But we heard they made a profession of faith back when they were like 10. And uh, it just, we just know they're looking down through the floor of heaven and the tears. Are, no, they're not. It's all lies. But it goes into our subconscious. It goes into our soul. And it sits there. And it begins to argue with the word of God. Look. Fruit is the undeniable evidence of the ontological reality of a thing. You see why I use those big fat words? Because I want you to know them. They're going to be around in things you need to read. It just means being, if you will. That which is. The being of something. The essence of something. Okay? The, the ontology of a, of a sweet corn kernel is goodness. If it ever grows. Okay? And finishes. So, what I'm saying is the, the undeniable evidence, the very being of a thing, fruit, is that. It is in its fruit what it is in its essence. What are you? You claim Christ. Really? 
Can I see it? Can I see him? Can I see him? Is he there? Fruit is the undeniable evidence of the ontological reality of a thing. A false profession of faith in Christ will always be known by what it both produces. This goes back into Galatians 19 through 21. You get murders and envies and strifes and and perversions and drunkenness. There's a whole list. And what it does not produce, which is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, long-suffering, gentleness, and self-control. There's a very vast difference between that which Christ produces because of His innate dwelling in you versus you just saying you know him but he's not in there right and 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 the church has just said oh if just tell me have have you made a decision for jesus where does it tell me that i get to make that decision so can you get your pocket knife out so we can scrape this page and just see if it comes up no, no, that's not in there. Uh, so, but what I do get to know is that God commands all men everywhere to repent and believe the gospel. Okay? God commands all people everywhere to repent and believe the gospel. Today is the day of salvation. Do not harden your hearts as in the day of the rebellion. But today is that day to repent and say, Here I am, have mercy upon me. Oh God, save my soul. That preaching... That message is missing in this very cute, very uh, commercialized Christianity, lollipop, Skittles Christianity today, marshmallows and other things that just make you want to throw up. No. God commands Why does he get to do that? What? Because he's God. And that's enough. So lastly in verse 6, but now we have been delivered from the law having died to what we were held by. Did you you hear that? So I want to encourage you, Christian, if you're here and you're you're struggling to understand, just listen. Back to being, ontologically. Your true self is buried in. With Christ in God. You're not bound by struggle. You have a maker. Who is going to perfect that which concerns you. You are not chained to it. You do not have to yield. And when you stumble. And you certainly will. Just go to Jesus. Offer up your broken shards of a shattered hope. He'll receive it from your hand and send you on your way again with his strength. And you grow a little more every day. You get a little stronger every day because we serve in the newness of the Spirit. The newness of the Spirit, not the flesh. And let me tell you how you can let me tell you how you know when you're walking and doing things in the flesh. You get an attitude. I remember years ago, 
I was in boot camp, actually, and we were lined up to go to the chow hall. And we're all just standing there. And uh, we were this, because you had to get really close. It was just dumb. Anyway, there was this guy in front of me. He had a lazy eye, so I never knew where he was looking. Okay? And he was pretty nice. And, and so everyone kind of did the shuffle to, to into the chow hall, because, you know, you've got to feed all those sewers. Someone bumped me, and I bumped him, because that's how it works. Okay, a bunch of minions is what it looked like, right? And I bumped him, and he turned, gosh, Kelly, what are you doing? Well, you know, and I said, oh, just shut up. That's what I said. Of course, we don't say it out loud, because if you get caught talking in formation, drill instructors will just kill you. Back then, they could actually kill you, okay? They'd take you into the head, and things started flying. you see his smoke go out, and you'd hear people screaming, and then they'd come out all like... And that's really what happened back in those days. But nowadays, anyway, they give manicures. So he said, gosh, Kelly, popping a tood. And I thought, I'm from the farm. Popping a tood. It took me five minutes to figure out standing there under my cover. This down to here. It's how they're supposed to be wore. You can't see out. You got to like look up to see. I'm like popping a tood, popping. Oh, he means I'm giving attitude because he wasn't from where I was from, right? I'm from Oklahoma and he was from somewhere, I don't know. Probably. (laughs) So, but the point is we can all stumble and we know when we're in the flesh because we start doing that. We get a little edgy. Lastly. Under the old law, we were slaves to death, serving under the rigor of sin. Rigor. There's rigor mortis. When you die, you just get stiff, right? Then in academics, this is when you, when you have a class you're going to take, and it's on the syllabus, and it's the leading word. This will be a very rigorous class. You know you're doomed. Because if the professor is speaking in terms of rigor, there's going to be lots of things to write and probably single-spaced. Always being beaten with the rod of guilt we are and shame. That's how we lived under the old life. But now we have been delivered to serve a new master where we love to serve with joy, with gladness, and the supply of the Spirit. Not out of obligation, but out of love. And then I just put extraordinary love. It's a new relationship. I'll close with this. Sometimes in the church, I've seen spouses who through death have been parted. Maybe the the husband dies or the wife dies. It's been over here, something I've observed. And before, when I would know the spouse, you know, they would always present a certain way. And they never really seemed uh, happy. Some of them. That spouse dies. They go through the grieving process. And then the one left standing, the one that's alive, it would be as if like a freshly potted, potted flower. They just begin to bloom and grow. And their whole... I want to go King James with you here. Their whole visage, <laughs> their whole countenance just lightens up. And, and, and then they admit later, you have no idea 
how hard it was to live with them. And I think about that when I read this passage. That old master, that rigor, that shame, that guilt. But then Jesus comes and suddenly you get your hair done if you have it. Okay? And uh, you, you have this person that really wants to talk to you. And you want to talk to them. And, and, and you like, you're connected. And you not only live together, you guys are friends. And you're, to know Jesus is the height of knowing. So, so Christian, I'm going to encourage you. What are you being? You were, you were then. You shouldn't be that now. But if you are now what you were then, then what you were, you ain't. Clear as mud? We have to get back to the basics of holiness. JT's coming. In this response time, I just said it. If you're here and you don't know Christ, I don't care if you're young or old. You got one foot in the grave and another on a banana peel. In a changing world. What are you going to do? Thank God through His indescribable grace. I believe in His ability to call people to Himself. And I pray for you. And Christian, if you need to get stuff out of the basement, start chucking. <laughs>